0: Hello and welcome. I'm Uri, and this is Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So Rifki is not here this week. She is busy preparing for her wedding, but we have a really, really exciting special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. My name is Dina Klein. I'm a good friend of Uri and Rifki's. And I'm a big fan of the podcast as well.
0: Thanks so much. Yeah, it's really great to have you. Uh, Dina and I were in YU together. And we're so happy that she agreed to join us or join me um, for the podcast this week.
1: It's really fun to be here. Um, Most of the podcasts that I listen to and the conversations that I have are part of like my Brooklyn bubble, uh, a big term from the election. Echo chamber. Is echo chamber. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the only podcast that I listen to that's outside of my echo chamber, and I really like it.
0: Okay. Well, I really appreciate that. I assume it's more of my. Uh, Definitely. or r- does Rifki ever say anything that's outside the echo chamber I am
1: so um, I feel so much pressure to fill in for Rifki because she would fit in perfectly in my <laughs> in my echo chamber she's so uh, articulate and I, I almost never disagree oh, so with her
0: she's art- as opposed to me no I'm you're incredibly articulate
1: <laughs> that's why it's so challenging oh, that's oh. why it's so refreshing because I'm hearing really strong and valid points from out. you're the outside Rifki uh-huh. is my echo chamber
0: okay well uh, thanks for saying that I appreciate that you, that's, keep, me, that's cool. you keep me
1: on my toes Okay, great Thanks, Ari
0: (laughs) So, are you a listener? How long have you been listening for?
1: I'm definitely a listener It's my Wednesday morning commute I really enjoyed it It wakes me up as I feel fully engaged Uh I've been listening, I would say, for two months I was out to dinner with a friend who told me about the show Oh, nice Shockingly, didn't hear it from you guys (laughs) and the first episode that i heard was the natalie portman episode uh-huh. and the genesis prize uh-huh. and i was like wow i'm listening to a podcast of something that i really care about and that was really exciting for me awesome. um and you guys have just been doing really interesting podcasts yeah. uh, michael chabon one uh-huh. i found really interesting got me thinking about why why we marry jewish and mm-hmm. sent me into a little uh philosophical search of my own. Mm,
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, well, update on the uh, Natalie Portman thing with the Genesis Prize. Uh, Last week, they ended up giving the prize instead of Natalie Portman. It was Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, got it in Israel last week. Did you you hear that?
1: I didn't hear that, but she's amazing. Did you see her documentary? I I
0: didn't see it. I know everybody loved it and I I like her uh, her thing on SNL with um, you've been Right. Kate McKinnon Kate McKinnon does (laughs) it yeah an amazing impression of her she's become like a, a rock star now in her old age.
1: It, the movie was amazing. I was it was one of those movies that I was sad that it ended. I was uh-huh. having a great time learning so much, and she's an incredible woman. So okay. I'm so happy that she accepted the prize. All
0: right, I'll have to check out the movie. As President Donald Trump is now in charge of Supreme Court appointments, which many predict will lead to a conservative majority for decades to come. Here to comment is liberal Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> I I think everyone expected
2: you to retire soon. I mean, you're 83. Yeah, you're damn right. I was going to retire. Clinton was going to win. I was going straight to the Dominican Republic. Even the last time I was there, they thought I was a Zika mosquito. But not now. Not now. Now I got to stay alive and healthy, damn it. Give me my thing. Excuse me. Gotta take my vitamin. Yeah.
0: So for this week's episode, and by the way, I just want to say, Dina was Rifke's first choice as her replacement wow. for this week. So uh, this is not just some random person off the street Rif- taking These Rifki's seat.
1: These are big shoes to fill.
0: Yeah. So for this week's episode, we re- we're going to do something a little bit different. And Dina and I were discussing for the last couple of days what we would do. And we thought we might have kind of a conversation, uh, somewhat of an interview, somewhat of a conversation uh, about... An, an issue that 's very important um, to her and to our community in general, and so Dina, would you like to elaborate a little bit on this issue?
1: happily, so I am both uh, part of the Orthodox community, and I am a gay woman i ma- I got married this past a year ago this past summer Mazel and I came thank you so much and I came out four years ago in two thousand and fourteen so it's been an interesting journey the last four years navigating what it means to be a gay woman in the Orthodox community. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you about how the Orthodox community is dealing with um, the LGBTQ inclusivity question.
0: Great. Well, so why don't I start with kind of a general question? Um, How do you think the Orthodox community has been doing on this issue and where do you think it needs to go?
1: So I think the Orthodox community has made a lot of progress and, uh, and I also think the Orthodox community has a ways to go. Certainly as a closeted individual before 2014, I remember being so afraid to come out because of how hush-hush it was and how little was available in terms of community and support. And since I've come out, I've seen so much growth. Speaking from experience, when I marched in my first pride parade in 2014, the Jewish cohort was so small And this past year at the Pride Parade, I couldn't even get a wristband to march with the Jewish cohort because they were all taken by uh, everyone else that wanted to march. So in terms of how easy it is to come out because of the community's acceptance, I'd say there's been growth there. Where the Orthodox community needs to go is um, for the rabbinic and lay leaders to have a better understanding of what it means to be an LGBTQ Jew and what— That and what those Jews are looking for. Mm -hmm. I think they need to have more sensitivity in terms of the language that they use in their articles or their statements and just from a human decency standpoint to understand that certain words that they say, certain phrases that they use are hurtful. Mm -hmm. So I think we have a ways to go in, in terms of how sensitive we need to be. And I think in so many ways there are community leaders who are there and they're there privately. I think from my understanding in terms of school administrators who I've spoken with um, and organizations who I've spoken with, they'll say to me, of course we accept LGBTQ people or Dina, these are the steps that we're taking. And I think that there's a fear to be proud about the steps that they're taking. So I, I Because hope, of
0: the potential pushback?
1: Because of the potential pushback, yeah. And I think that pushback comes from lay leaders and that generational gap of you know people who are my parents age or older who are less open to lgbtq inclusivity
0: So I guess you're kind of implying, and I sort of see this also, that this issue really breaks down by generation, that the younger generation, even like people that we were in college with who are like much more on the from end of the spectrum, are a lot more understanding and open to these kinds of things. And then older people, even if they're like, in general, more liberal minded, a lot of times have trouble with this. Um, do you think a goal should be to like try to change everyone's mind and convince people even if they are in that older generation? Or do you think that there is space for the way they see things and you don't expect it really to change?
1: I th- I do expect there to be change because the younger people who, like you said, are already there and who are accepting – that's the, that's where that's the future that's where we're heading so if we're going to get there and we're almost there then what is whi- i don't i don't fully understand the hesitation between the older generation necessarily
0: well okay let's let's take a step back for a second i want to ask you uh, if you're comfortable answering this question how do you identify jewishly
1: that's a great question okay i identify as a modern orthodox jew okay. but i don't identify Jewishly based on other Jews. I identify Jewishly based on my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And in my coming out process, that was a really important distinction to make. Um, the first pers- the first rabbi that I came out to was Rabbi Korn from Chabad House Bowery, where I was working at the time, and he really encouraged me to separate my relationship with God from my relationship with Jews. And in, in terms of understanding my relationship with God, I understand and I believe that I am incredibly loved, and I'm here for a reason. I have a purpose on this earth, and I want to reciprocate that love. And what that looks like is observing his commandments in the best way that I can, having ongoing conversation with God, celebrating God's Torah and God's commandments, holidays. There's so many things that I love about Jewish, the Jewish life that I was raised with, and I guess at times it feels challenging to identify as modern Orthodox from the Jews perspective because of some because of the lack of full inclusion that I feel. But I in, in terms of for my own mental health, I, mm. I choose to identify Jewishly based on my relationship with God and not based on other Jews.
0: Uh-huh. Well, that's that's really interesting and if I could ask you just to elaborate a little bit, I'm curious because obviously so much of Judaism, throughout history and not just in the Orthodox community but in all Jewish communities is, is about the community and the cohesion of of people and families and getting together for all kinds of occasions and so you seem to be separating that from like the personal element which I guess also has always been there um, but how do you like so you just described all the things that you that are there for you so what isn't there in terms of the other people and other Jews part of it
1: so, my family is fully there, which definitely makes it really helpful to feel part of the Orthodox community. Um, and I've something fully aware, f- fully accepting. <laughs> it's, okay. And something in coming out, a huge fear of mine is that I'm incredibly passionate about the Jewish community. I, my professional life has been dedicated to working with the Jewish mm-hmm. community. And it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I was so afraid that when I came out, I would have to shift career trajectories, that I wouldn't be wanted to work in the in the Jewish community. And I've really worked to find the Jewish organizations within modern orthodoxy or the movements within modern orthodoxy where I do feel welcome. And whether that's my shul or my profession or nonprofits that I want to dedicate my energy to, it exists in terms of Uh, larger umbrella organizations like the OU, let's say, where they're not fully there. I'm not going to leave modern orthodoxy because of that. And at the same time, I know that there are people who are leaving modern orthodoxy because of that. And I feel very sad about that.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think that there should be any limitations on your lifestyle or somebody else's lifestyle as a gay person um, who wants to be part of the Jewish community?
1: If you're asking about limitations in, let's say, in terms of shul membership, if we want to use an example, for a shul to say, you can both be members individually, but we won't recognize your membership as a couple, that's really invalidating, and that's not recognizing us as a Jewish family. And at this, we are like, if, if a gay family wanted to be members of a shul, why shouldn't they be recognized as a Jewish family? Mm-hmm. Because the, the issue that rabbis have, the issue that leaders have about being gay is about the halacha in the Torah, which prohibits gay sex. Mm-hmm. So any prohibition that's put about membership or inclusion or whatever it is, it's boiling down their entire identity to the type of sex that they have. And there's so much more to a person's life than that.
0: Mm-hmm. What about like, the marriage itself? I don't know if you want to get into your particular ceremony or w- other people's or like, how do, how do you think that should work in terms of people who want to be part of the Orthodox community and are having a gay wedding? Um, you know, should should an Orthodox rabbi officiate? Should it be an, an Orthodox traditional ceremony? How do you see that?
1: So I can only speak to mine and my wife's experience. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we really grappled with for many months leading up to our wedding. There were hardly any models for how to go about it. And we were balancing wanting to incorporate Jewish themes into our wedding because Judaism is so much a part of our lives and also not wanting to do anything that was uncomfortable or we weren't looking to make any brachas unnecessarily we weren't looking to replicate an orthodox wedding ceremony we were looking to create a wedding ceremony that was special to us and we looked for room to incorporate jewish wedding ideas and jewish wedding themes we didn't have an orthodox rabbi married us we Mm -hmm. had a friend married us who's um ordained by the state of new york okay um and we got we got legally married, and the Jewish aspects of our wedding included singing imesh like at every Jewish wedding we remember Jerusalem just. Because even in our happiest times, we want to think about the destruction of the temple. So that didn't feel like something that was wrong of us to do. We made a Shehekhianu, because you can make a Shehekhianu over a lot of new and exciting things. Mm-hmm. We wrote up a contract. Uh, it was We wrote up a star, and that's similar to the ketubah. It's not a ketubah. Um, we... Took We each made nadarim to each other. We each made promises to each other. So all these are examples of wanting to have a Jewish wedding and also not trying to create something that doesn't exist.
0: Mm-hmm. So I guess that's really interesting. I guess you incorporated a lot of nuance and thoughtfulness into the process. But what if you had friends who wanted to get married and have a gay wedding, but they said, why can't it just be orthodox? Like, Will you support us? in doing like just a full traditional ceremony and whoever doesn't go along with it is homophobic. I mean, like, w- what would you say to that?
1: That's not really what I believe. I think rabbis really struggle with accept, fully accepting LGBTQ Jews because of the prohibition of sex. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's so much more to that. And I think Rabbi, that's what rabbis are really missing. They're missing something that I said when I came out to my parents is that I still have the same values that you raised me with, I, the same values that I learned from this house and from the school that you sent me to and the camp that you sent me to. Nothing has changed about me and who I want except for the gender, the sex of the woman, that the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, that's what we want. We want to have a Jewish home. We want to have raise a family with Jewish values. So to feel rejected, it's like, what are, what's the alternative? That's really what I wonder. If these rabbis don't want to accept LGBTQ families into their schools or into their schools, what are they suggesting? Are they suggesting that anyone who identifies as gay leaves the Orthodox community and joins the conservative movement? I'm not sure.
0: Right. I mean, I think that's something that people kind of talk about that most people won't say this explicitly, but in their heads, maybe they're thinking this would all be a lot simpler if all the gay people just decided to leave the community and not want to have any part of it. Because then it's much easier for them to say like, oh, we really sympathize with them. We wish you well. We don't judge you as a person, but like they don't have to make those tough decisions about what to do about their shul or about their you know about their orthodox uh, des- kind of decision making does that make sense
1: Yeah but that's so sad I, I love I every agree that it's sad. I love everything about my orthodox life I love having Shabbos. I love spending holidays with my family I I really was raised with a true love for Judaism and to say like to hear or to feel um, glad you had a nice 27 years but you know time to move on to something else now that would that would be devastating to me
0: right so i mean i'm curious do you what kind of sympathy do you have to more let's say, traditional-minded Orthodox people, whether they be rabbis or not rabbis, who, let's say, like, I'm not talking about people who are nasty and mean and say mean things, because I think there's no place for that, regardless of what the issue is. But in terms of people who are, you can tell, care about other people, and they're genuinely troubled and pained by this issue. And let's say they come to the conclusion that we can't allow a gay couple to be members in a shul or we can't, I don't know. I'm not sure what the other examples would would be, but like how much sympathy do you have towards those kind of people? Or have you had conversations that you felt were productive with people that would fit into that category?
1: Yeah, I've definitely had conversations with people and I, and I, Have some sympathy, as I mentioned earlier. I know that there's nuance in this. I'm not I don't I don't think we live in a black and white world and this is a very gray issue. And something that I heard said to me is that it's really hard to lead from the gray. Mm -hmm. So if this is by nature a gray issue, how do we lead from the gray? At the same time, I expect more from some of our rabbinic leaders. Like I don't understand how Rabbis in YU or rabbis at the OU are not sitting around and talking about this and and coming out with figuring out ways or coming out with statements on we if you're yeah, you're gay, but we love you and we want you to stay in this community and we're grappling with it and and this is this is where we're at. like the silence is is painful.
0: right. I mean, I think it's because they're scared, um, probably scared of a bunch of things.
1: Deep. So so, for, so let's say, I don't know if you're familiar with the Eshel Pledge, are yeah, you?
0: Yeah, I, I am. I wanted to bring that up.
1: So Eshel, which is an organization that works with um, fusing orthodox and LGBTQ identities and does advocacy in schools and schools and, and a whole bunch of support stuff as well, came up with this pledge that they're trying to get schools to sign. It's very simple. What they're asking schools to sign is that there'll be no expulsion no bullying, no reparative therapy, there'll be mental health support available, there'll be open admission for LGBTQ students, and that LGBTQ students will be fully integrated just like anyone else. So that's not a hard thing. That's not a, I, I imagine there are many schools who are already practicing mm-hmm. these six points, and yet there's so such pushback and so much deliberation about whether or not to sign it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I know that there are some schools who are thinking of signing it with a reinforcement to say, we sign this and we know that being gay is against halakha. Uh-huh. So why do you need to say that? A gay person has struggled their whole life with this. They know... The halachas, they felt plenty of rejection in their life. So why why the need to reinforce that, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Okay, so why don't we get briefly into another couple of uh, current events on this topic. So there was, of course, the the famous uh, bakery Supreme Court case where the bakery that wouldn't uh, bake the cake for the gay couple, Supreme Court voted in favor of the bakery. Correct. But, of course, you're... Beloved RVG. She never left me down. (laughs) Right. Um, And then the OU wrote a statement about it. So what did you think about the OU's statement?
1: The first iteration or the second? Oh,
0: so why don't you give a little bit of background on that? Okay.
1: So the OU put out a statement in support of the Supreme Court ruling that had language that was a little bit hurtful, Mm -hmm. a lot hurtful. Um, And then it mysteriously disappeared from their statement without an apology or anything like that, which to me goes against uh, Jewish values of asking forgiveness. Mm -hmm. But what they originally said was, strong constitutional protections for religious liberty are the bedrock of the Orthodox Jewish community and so many other faith communities in the United States. This is even more important when it comes to beliefs that may not be in step with the cultural fads of the moment. We are deeply grateful that a clear majority of Supreme Court justices, again, venerated these crucial principles. What? What's the cultural fad here?
0: Right. So we were debating this a little bit before. You think they're saying that it's a cultural fad to be gay.
1: They're either saying that it's a cultural fad to be gay, which is fascinating, Or that it's a cultural fad to be nice to gay people, which is also fascinating. I
0: think it's closer to the second one. The way I read it, interpreted it was they're saying it's a a cultural fad to be supportive of progressive causes, one of which is the gay cause.
1: And it was offensive enough that it mysteriously disappeared from the statement a few days later.
0: So, I mean, whenever these kind of things happen with the OU, my first question always is, like, what exactly is the role of the OU and why are they so involved in, in these political things? Like, I just don't, don't know the answer to that or how prominent they are, how important they are as, like, representing the Orthodox community to the world or to the U.S. government. But did I no, mean, you, I you wanted them to apologize for having the, the fad line. In I mean, there.
1: I feel like we were taught since kindergarten that if you say something that hurts someone's feelings, you apologize, Right.
0: Okay, <laughs> <laughs>
1: which didn't happen,
0: right, right. I mean, probably everything that they say hurts somebody's feelings.
1: That's fair, but they don't delete hurtful phrases on the reg. R- right. So I mean, I guess
0: it's, it's complicated. I, I don't I don't know enough about the OU to talk about this, this that much or to defend them I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they meant well I think they were excited to to support this decision in terms of its implications for religious liberty which a lot of people both orthodox Jewish and Christian or other religions feel that religious liberties are somewhat under attack these days and so they were sort of like jumping on this as like this score one for religious people but you're saying, but it was at the expense of Gay people.
1: Yeah. And to that, I'll say two things. One being, being like, you asked what could be different and what I hope can change, where there's room for change. And I think a major place of room for change is the words that people use and the phrases that people use. So Cultural fad was clearly something that was hurtful because it disappeared from the statement. So just I think it goes to show that there's a lack of sensitivity to the LGBTQ community, whether it was calling them a cultural fad or their supporters a cultural fad. And two, the fact that we're talking about this during the three weeks leading up to the destruction of the temple, which was destroyed because of a lack of sensitivity and kindness towards others, I think that this Demonstrates that we still have so much room in that regard. I think that there's, from the higher ups, a lack of sensitivity. There's so much energy and resources invested into so many different types of Jews. Take NCSY, for example, who it's an entire branch of the OU that is servicing kids who are not observing all 613 commandments. Mm-hmm. And there's so much money and so much love and so much programming that's directed towards them simply because they're Jewish and because the OU, NCSY, sees their potential to become the great Jewish people that they were brought on this earth to be. So why is there being so much energy directed towards one group of people who don't keep all 613 mitzvot perfectly, but this other group who struggles with one commandment in particular is like... They're almost—they're really being pushed out the door,
0: right? Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting analogy and, and point that you make with NCSY.
1: Or you've been asking me all these questions. I yeah. figured I would ask you one or two. Oh, Okay. Um, as someone who's not part of the LGBTQ community, I'm curious for as you being an outsider, um, where you see this going in three years from now, what the orthodox world looks like in terms of. Um, Orthodoxy and LGBTQ intersectionality down the line, and also, um, like you mentioned, we both know each other from Yeshiva University. So, as a fellow YU alum, if you, how you see YU's role in this, um, what they're currently doing, or what they could be doing differently, Mm -hmm. they're not, in my opinion, they're not really doing much. But I'm Uh curious what you think about it.
0: Wow, interesting. Yeah. Um, Well, I appreciate the question, and I love that you managed to stick in intersectionality into it, because (laughs) it's one of my favorite words.
1: Hot topic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree with I don't think anything that you said, really, but I agree that this is a very complicated issue, and... As far as where I see things going and what I think YU is doing, like as I mentioned, I was at the the YU Gay Panel at this point. That was a number of years ago,
1: 2010, Eight years ago.
0: Okay, yeah, and I I, and the, some of my friends were on the panel, and I thought it was
1: amazing. Do you know how many lives that panel probably saved? I uh, I don't know how many I, do things. I I think it saved. I think it saved a lot of lives. I think all the work of these organizations. It's really life saving work. No one should feel like they have to suffer alone. And and to to create these platforms is giving voice to the struggle that so many people are feeling.
0: Right. I definitely get that. And I thought Rabbi Blau did an amazing job at that YU panel as the moderator. He's and gonna get
1: so much shair and <laughs> alim haba for that.
0: I I thought it was really really important and and the way that they handled it I thought was done in a sensitive and, and well handled way
1: what about what about since then
0: I think the orthodox community has an obligation to figure out a way to include members of the community who want to remain in the community but who happen to be gay I don't know the, exactly how to do that and that's why I'm kind of relieved that I'm not the one who has to make <laughs> that decision but I I'm supportive of the goal of finding a solution, and I, I have more respect for the people who appreciate that this is difficult, and to understand the sensitivities on all sides of this issue, and that it's not black and white, I think it's just inevitable that things will become more inclusive, and hopefully, you know, in a good way, in a, in a way that everybody feels uh, safe and happy about, um, both Jewishly and just in general. And that's kind of, I guess I'm optimistic in that sense. And that's sort of like, to answer your question, where I see things going in terms of why you specifically, I don't know, I guess I would like to say the same thing, that you you have a lot of people um, in power and calling the shots both on the payroll in terms of like the Russia Shiva and administration and also the board members who in a way are like even more powerful than than the, the you know people
1: everyone's been so in the quiet. administration.
0: <laughs> yeah there hasn't been a lot. I think YU is a little bit at a loss of and, and they've taken a back seat in a lot of ways because they haven't been at the forefront Right. On this issue and a lot of other issues, and then right. other institutions are kind of like filling that void. And and while you seems to be coming a little bit less relevant, which is sad to me because I totally. Think,
1: um, I mean, to be the leading Orthodox institution, I think it would be so important to discuss like the leading issues in in the Orthodox community, and, I, and I'm not seeing that, and I, and I'm disappointed.
0: Right. Um, yes. Cause I, I think as difficult as these issues may be for them to just ignore it and not deal with it can't possibly be the right answer. I, right. Do we agree on that?
1: Yeah. And, and no one's no, yeah, we agree. <laughs> no, no one's saying to ignore it and no one's saying to say we like it's nuance. And I think that, There's room to speak about the nuance. Right.
0: I I think they're just scared. That's what it is. And I don't think that's an excuse, but that's what it is. That's the reality.
1: With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, yeah,
0: sure. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Dina, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having this discussion with me. I mean, how do you think it went? Do you think uh, we covered a lot of, eh, not everything? I
1: think we did. Yeah, something I, I hope... if. To all your many, many, many listeners, mm-hmm. I hope it provided some insight from the perspective of an LGBTQ person who's also Orthodox. I've, you know, gotten comments from even my own family members who have said, um, "You know, I didn't really understand the gay thing until until you're until you came out." Mm-hmm. So if someone just got like a closer picture of what that looks like, um, and it moved somebody, then then our time together was. was was productive, even though I always love hanging out with you.
0: Okay, great. And I agree. Justice Ginsburg, come on, you know?
2: Call it, you know what? I'm living every 81-year-old's dream. I get paid to sit on a bench all day and judge people. (laughs) But you know how rare it is to be 81 years old and actually have people listen to what you say?
0: Okay, well, well, the Chief Justice of Alabama actually said he won't listen to your ruling on marriage equality.
2: Eh. I expect that from Alabama, you know. They never recognized the ruling on incest, either.
1: <gasps> oh, the verdict is in, you've been Ginsburg. Thanks for joining us. That's our show. I uh, hope you enjoyed. Please subscribe, rate us. Um, share with your friends
0: yeah Dina I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before but part of the deal of you being on the show is that you don't have to bring in some new listeners this so, is going on my Facebook okay awesome I guess I'll have to put on my Facebook then also <laughs> <laughs> alright and well thanks as always to Drive-In Productions for sponsoring this week's episode and thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade they are the official band of Talking Tachlis and uh, we'll see you next time bye
1: bye Thank you.